Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. What's going on, everybody? Dr. Andrew Fix back from Physio Room for another episode on The Code. Uh, I feel a little out of my routine. It's been a little while since I did one of these, uh, hopefully not feeling too rusty or anything, but I'm really looking forward to getting into this conversation with one of my friends and one of our team members here at Physio Room, Dr. Tim Tracy. Uh, you may have heard Dr. Tim on our ACL Reconstruction podcast that we did a couple months ago, but as a reminder, Tim is one of our board-certified orthopedic specialists in physical therapy, though he's helped a ton of clients in his career with all sorts of issues. Specifically, Tim specializes in working with cyclists, cycling-related issues, knee pain, back pain, neck pain, you name it, improving your cycling performance, and he's a bike-fitting specialist on our team here at Physio Room. So, Tim, thanks so much for joining me, buddy. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Great. Great being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate the intro. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, you're our specialist on cycling related issues. You do bike fittings in our office. And you guys, that's what we're going to get into a little bit today on what are bike fittings? What are they for? Who needs one? You know, why are they beneficial for you? But um, before we dive too much into that, Tim, we just sort of do a brief little recap again of yourself. If someone hasn't listened to that ACL podcast and just give a brief background of yourself and uh, and then we'll get right into it. Like my history of you know, 10 plus years of PT has been just, uh, you know, general orthopedics, uh, a lot of sports related injuries. I was um, worked at the University of Missouri as a, as a PT working with the gymnastics and uh, women's soccer teams. And so, you know, the, the issues that I saw there definitely overlapped with the cyclists that I, you know, have been working with and have worked with since PT school. So, you know, now my practice is is a blend of my main pursuits. You know, outside of my family life, of course, my main pursuits are cycling and serving my clients. And so I have that specific focus on cycling related issues, cycling performance, and bike fitting. Yeah, absolutely love it. And you know, it's pretty cool when you get to blend those things together, like you said. And it's not too often that you get to see someone's passion driving their career. A lot of times people are just in jobs that, you know, that afford their living and a lot of their passion and their pursuits are outside of their work. But when you get to pull those two things together, it's pretty fun. And, you know, we have those niche specific providers on our team here at Physio Room, you being the cycling guy. When was it that um, that you really got into cycling as a sport or activity that, you know, that you started to really enjoy it and do it more and more? It was in PT school. So, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up like soccer and motocross were my my main two uh, weekend activities, played college soccer as well. Uh, so PT school, you know, gave me some like more insight on overall health, you know, the physiology, nutrition, you know, just general wellness. And so, you know, once I had the time and uh, funds available, which is definitely <laughs> a barrier with cycling, then it just kind of came together as, you know, just a, a blend of like everything I enjoyed with life, which is outside the skill set from motocross, the anaerobic 
ability associated with that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the aerobic, you know, background of soccer is as well. So like cycling is just like the ultimate blend uh, for like a lifelong activity and, and getting out and just having like a, an outlet to, you know, be stay balanced in life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, what it's been about, we're closing in on two years now, right? That you've been at physio room or am I off on that? Yep. No, next month will be two years. Awesome. Awesome. Let's just dive right into it, Tim. Let's start talking about bikes. Let's start talking about what a bike fit is. And, um, you know, I'm right there with you. I got into cycling when I was in PT school, but my cycling journey has been kind of like on and off throughout the last eight years, I guess now, I think it was in 2014 that uh, I traveled for one of my clinical rotations to Minneapolis and they have a great bike path system and um, riding a road bike all around. And then if I fast forward, that bike eventually ended up getting stolen. And that threw a little wrench in my plans. Cause like you said, as a college student, uh, didn't quite have the funds. So I replaced that bike with a much, much cheaper one and um, still was riding that around a bit. But then the deeper I got into my career, the the less I was biking. I wasn't prioritizing finding time to bike uh, until I moved out here to Colorado. And now I've had the opportunity to go through a couple bike fit sessions with you um, on different types of bikes. But um, as like a high level overview, like what is a bike fit and why does someone need one? Or why would you tell someone that it's beneficial to do a bike fitting session? Uh, so, you know, the internet will tell you that it's a mysterious dark hole full of nuances and uncertainty, which uh, is partly true. But I'd say like when performed well, it's I just tell people it's the avenue for any rider to obtain the full enjoyment of riding their bike. You know, aside from getting decent shoes, which is another you know rabbit hole as well in cycling and, and, a, and a quality helmet, bike fit is the first thing anyone should do after investing after a uh, a bike purchase you know that you know the the sticker shop with a bike is uh, often pretty great uh, with uh, entry level or novice riders and so the thought of you know uh, another couple hundred dollars to get this thing set up for me is sometimes is frequently overlooked Mm -hmm. Um, so you know but bike fitting is you know bike bike manufacturers use adjustable interchangeable components so their bikes uh, can be made to accommodate a larger cross-section of riders. And so a trained bike fitter knows which adjustments need to be made to each of these components so that you know, the contact interfaces are you know relatively seamless with each person. Yeah. yeah. So you know essentially, you know, there's three points of contact when you know when you're on the bike, you know, your hands, the saddle, the seat, and the feet. And the ultimate goal is, you know, after a bike fit for the rider to never really never really put much thought into those areas uh i'd say outside of focusing on the riding technique mm-hmm. which is another thing that people don't really have uh, a lot of uh, awareness of yeah i think that's a good point that you bring up because you know you work with a lot of cyclists i work with some too but i work with more runners on my caseload and um i think a lot of people just you know when we're young we're kind of born with this innate ability to run but as we age, as we spend a lot of time sedentary in schools and work and whatnot, you know, a lot of people just think that people should know how to run. But if you watch 10 different people run, you're going to see 10 different running techniques, 10 different gait cycles. I think the same thing is probably true for cycling. You know, 
you just assume that you just hop on the bike and you just pedal and you know, there's only one way to do it. But like you just said, not everybody has a very efficient cycling technique, just like drilled in and, and dialed in. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's just cycling is just so seemingly benign mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, you know, obviously I, I hop on the bike, this is how you pedal a bike, but there are just nuances, you know, go lower about how to do that the most efficient way. Yeah. And, you know, there's just not as much literature about handling technique. It's not in the mainstream, uh, you know, literature as well. And just the, the body of you know, scientific literature in general is pales with cycling compared to running, compared to knee pain, to, compared to other health related factors. So, yeah, there isn't a, a robust body of evidence that people can relate to, their practitioners can relate to. So, a lot of it is, a, you know, a, experience and uh, and knowledge that helps the people to help them refine these uh, help their cycling patterns like mm-hmm. yeah and I think you know probably most people that will tune in to listen to this podcast even if you're not a cyclist you will um you will be able to relate to what I'm about to say you know everybody probably knows the feeling of hopping in to drive your spouse's car or drive a rental car. And what's the first thing that you do when you get in there? You adjust the seat forward and back, up and down. You adjust the back of the seat. You adjust the mirrors. You adjust the steering wheel. Like you adjust all the parts that are capable to be adjusted so that the car is set up to the size and shape of your body so that the seatbelt fits nice so that you can see where you need to see so that driving is going to be as comfortable as possible. The same thing is true for cycling, right? Like you need to adjust that bike as best as possible to fit the function of your body, your height, your weight, your shape, the length of your arms and legs, et cetera. Um, so obviously like that's a lot of what's taking place in these bike fits with Tim. But like you just sort of alluded to, Tim, you know, someone goes out and spends their hard-earned money on a bike, whether it's new or used, mountain, gravel road, whatever that is. And maybe they they don't want to invest those next couple hundred dollars into doing a proper bike fit. And just like we would love to work with people proactively here at physio room, rather than waiting until something starts to bother them. Would you say that it's true that a lot of times when people end up coming in for a bike fit, it's because something is not feeling optimal in their cycling? Yeah, absolutely. So if people are feeling good, it's just like physical therapy in general, they're going to keep on trucking. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's, you know, it's more like higher, high level, uh, cyclists that are going to really want to hone in their positioning so that they can maximize like their economy and maximize, you know, their comfort and longevity. And, yeah. and so those are usually ones that are more proactive and, you know, so sometimes they'll have issues, say, you know, six hours into a ride. And that's when those are the yeah. issues they want to work out. And, we look at, you know, or take a different approach for those cyclists, but, you know, ultimately if people aren't experiencing significant issues, then, you know, they're just leaving a, a lot on the table as far as like the maybe discomforts they have that they kind of brush aside, like, and think that that's normal part of cycling. And mm-hmm. that's especially true for people to say, you know, my age and older, just the dogmatic thinking that dies hard is, you know, you know numbness and your saddle region your hands or whatever it's just you know that's just part of riding a bike and you got this little seat and it's 
yeah. going to be uncomfortable no matter what. And mm-hmm. that is not the case at all. So, you know, there should be, that's what I'm saying. Like you, you shouldn't have to put much thought into those contact points, regardless of how long you're writing, you know, once you people yeah. pressed five or six hours, the body doesn't like a static position, no matter how perfect you're set up. So that's where we look at, you know, off the bike patterns and, mm-hmm. you know, their inherent positional awareness when they can then position for that long versus, you know, changing it up, big yeah. changes on the bike setup. So that's, uh, you know, really helping to mitigate that dogmatic thinking. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned right there in that explanation, potential numbness in the saddle region, in the hands where your pressure points are. In addition to those things, what would you say are some of the most common issues that cyclists are often dealing with that potentially lead them in the door for something like a bike fit if they didn't already get it, you know, when they purchased yeah. their bicycle? So the the level of cycling is going to pretty much dictate the issues they have. But across the board, I'd say low back pain is probably the number one driver for people. I mean, low back and hip, I'll kind of lump those together. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, more, uh, you know, novice beginners will tend to have a lot of saddle seat issues. And a lot of that is due to kind of the positioning and to think that they need a big cushy seat in order to be comfortable. You know, if, if their car seat's comfy, then, then obviously they need something that simulates that. So it's getting them in a position to, to recognize that we don't want them really upright because that's going to put a lot of pressure on that little area and giving, you know, that counterintuitive approach to, you know, having weight distributed well between their feet, saddle and hands will, you know, unload that, that pressure. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, for more, uh, you know, more serious cyclists, then that's when I'll see like, you know, you, one-sided issues and they're, their knee, their hip, um, you know, coming up the neck as well. And that is likely, likely like a background is, is that they're going to have some issues off the bike and people that bike a lot tend to don't, you know, do like a well-rounded or comprehensive training program. And so any, um, you know, niggles or asymmetries that they're going to have off the bike are just going to be slowly compounded on the bike. And so, it, it'll you know it'll be knee hip and low back pain are, are kind of the things i'll see with uh higher level riders yeah yeah and that makes sense hearing you explain that because i would say just thinking of the cyclists particularly the serious ones that i've had the opportunity to work with in the clinic those are pretty much the things that they're dealing with you know knee and not necessarily in this order but knee pain back pain neck pain hip issues are probably the things that i've heard the most and um and I would agree with you that we see issues in those things in the clinic, even if they're not on their bike, right? So um, now I know that's something that you look at when when a person comes in to see you for a bike fitting session, um, just kind of like paint the outline picture of like, what does that look like? Because I know you don't just look at people on their bike, you look at them off of their bike as well. No, uh, definitely not. So, I, you know, just going back, there is you know, some, you know, relic thinking that again, dies hard as far as, you know, the biomechanics you, of the body, just relate that to, you know, the static sizing of the bike. And if your um, knee angles and hip angles are in a good position, well, then you, you know, should be set up. But, 
you know, unfortunately, the 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 fact that the components overlooked is the the central nervous system, and that we all are going to move differently. And those you know, unique differences need to be looked at functionally, and how people move off the bike will often mirror how they move on the bike. So if they have a knee that dives in when they're doing a squat or a single leg squat, that will be almost, you know, 100% evident on the bike. So uh, when, you know, someone comes in, you know, for a fit, yeah, we don't just hop on the bike. We just like any, you know, good healthcare practitioner, we want to know that patient's story. We want to know their subjective. We want to know their goals. So, and especially for cycling, it's because, you know, the direction we're going to go for their setup is going to be dictated by the demands of the event that they're going for. There's so many unique cycling uh, niches that, you know, some someone can come in with a, you know, a cyclocross bike, and but they're wanting to do, you know, long distance gravel rides. Uh, and so this setup for those two disciplines is going to be totally different. Um, so, you know, whereas the cross bike's going to really be focused on the, on the handling, uh, the gravel bike's going to be more set up for, you know, comfort and, 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 and longevity. And so, you know, I want to know, you know, about them, their goals. I want to know about injuries, any issues they're having, you know, current, previous, um, current issues, prior injuries they have, things that they're having off the bike as well. Um, yeah. Because again, that'll be until they're like doing well, like pain-wise and functional-wise off the bike, then, you know, the likelihood of them doing well for extended periods on the bike, you know, again, is is not not, not great. Yeah. Once we kind of establish that and, and get a baseline about, you know, their expectations for the fit, you know, is it to be more aero? Is it just comfort? Is it performance or is it just to get out of pain is it to ride with their kids so all these things i gotta know where each person stands and so that we know where we want to go and again that's like not a lot different than uh, a typical you know pt initial evaluation however it contrasts greatly from what you know some bike fits are the, the sequence that are offered say in some bike shops um yeah wasn't something that was a component of the first fits that I had in my cycling career. There's like you know, hop on, looks good, see you later. So they definitely want to give a real comprehensive subjective component uh, for each person. So then once we kind of establish that, then that's when we get moving. And it's not on the bike. It's I want to look at their function, combined with the stability, uh, flexibility, and mobility. So, and and see if that, you know, how that relates to their symptoms, uh, if, if they are having any. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, um, you know, so if they want to get, you know, real aerodynamic on their bike and, you know, they have like terrible mobility, terrible flexibility, they, they can't hip hinge really well, they don't have good lunge pattern, then those are things that are going to compromise you know, their current fit. Yeah, we have a direction we want to go, but it's seeing like, hey, your movement patterns aren't really at the at the place they need to be so that you can function well on the bike. But so that's what we want to highlight and tease out before we you know even hop on the bike. Yeah, yeah. And that makes good sense. So to just recap that beginning part. So someone comes in, you know, before you even get started doing anything, you want to understand, you know, who they are, where they've been, 
what their goals are, and then look at the person from a functional assessment standpoint first before you even even put the bike up on the trainer and, and get them set up on their bike. So, okay, so say you go through that portion, you go through that beginning half of the assessment, find the things that you find, talk about those, and then you reach the point where, okay, now we're going to get your bike set up, we're going to get you up on your bike, we're going to get your shoes on, and, um, and we're going to start to assess you on the bicycle. What does that process look like? Yeah, so I want to get them on the bike, and... And then that's where I'm going to see their pedaling technique. I'll do like a pretty light resistance, and 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 I want to see, you know, if they're if they're are they able to pedal at a high cadence without being real choppy? Are they pedaling squares? Do we hear like the the trainer, you know, uh, catching the chain catching with each pedal stroke? And that's what we'll see is that they all don't have that that fluidity. And so that's what I want to kind of tease out. Or, you know, is it one side that they are, that we hear that constant chain slap in the trainer? And so seeing that, and then, um, so what I'll do is I'll, you know, record them. We have a, I have an app um, and then we'll get them from the side, from the front and, and from behind. And, and I'm looking at Pretty much like what is their pelvic stability like? And so that's going to dictate up and down the chain about how they, you know, the control they have, you know, pushing through the pedals. You know, they, is that going to dictate them putting too much pressure on their hands? Are they going to be rounded and their neck hunched? And, you know, again, these asymmetries as far as, you know, is one leg dropping down a little bit further on one side versus the other? Do they have more, you know, their toes pointing a little bit more on one side versus the other. And again, like these are things as far as like things that I'm going to likely have picked up in their functional movement off the bike. Yeah. And then I can kind of go, you know, have a direction where what I'm looking for when they first hop on. And then I can start to like coach them about, hey, here's some things that with your movement that you have to be able to do well. Because, you know, no matter which direction that we go with these changes, until we can have you moving well, making the most and have an awareness about how to interact with the seat and the handlebars and the pedals, there's still going to be some things that aren't going to be fully resolved. And that's what is often the case is like people will get a fit somewhere, but they don't get instruction about, you know, hey, here's how, here's why you're having pain on one side. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll say, hey, well, this guy moved the stem two millimeters this way and the guy moved two millimeters this way where I was worse off from what I was before. And so those are the things like, okay, here's, you know, why we're doing this first is really give you a holistic approach to be a better functioning human off and on the bike. What's going on code listeners, Dr. Andrew Fix here. And I want to tell you about our friends at Element. Element makes a tasty electrolyte drink with everything that you need and nothing that you don't. That means the science-backed electrolyte ratio of sodium, potassium, and magnesium, and none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. And that's why I use it. I've been taking Element for two years now, and I absolutely love the stuff, and I wouldn't want to exercise without it. For all of you code listeners and friends of Physio Room, Element's offered a special to you guys, and I want you to take advantage of it. 
go ahead and visit drinkelement.com slash physio room. That's drinklmnt.com slash physio room to receive that special offer. You're going to get a free variety pack with any purchase that you place. And uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. Thanks so much. You're totally right that, you know, having that look beforehand where you assess the person clues you in to like things that you're expecting to see or planning to take a deeper look at when the person's finally on the bike. Now, and I know um, hopefully this, uh, what I'm about to ask you doesn't prove to be a difficult question because I know the answer is extremely different for every person. But, you know, when you get someone on the bike, though, how you're going to potentially, if you're going to adjust anything on the bike with them or for them to improve what that video looks like, improve their ability to pedal efficiently and whatnot. Um, there's a lot of different moving components on these bicycles. Would you say that you set, tend to see a trend with like the types of adjustments that you see yourself making with people? Is it like you tend to see that you're moving the seat this way or that way? You tend to change one thing more than the other? Are you noticing any trends with the fits that you're doing? Yes, absolutely. So it does kind of those patterns that we see do kind of relate to different uh, demographics mm -hmm. and different types of riders. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's like a lot of road riders I've seen lately that they want to make the most power that they can. So their seat is going to be, uh, relatively forward and low. And so that's going to just bias your, you know, your quad muscles going to give you like more leverage uh, as you're pressing down through the, the power phase. And it also tends to add a lot of patellar shear to your knees. And so if you don't have like good balance, good technique to be able to load distribute as far as using all the muscles in your legs, including your glutes and hamstrings and have good um, pelvic stability, that's a good recipe for knee pain. So, you know, what well tend to tend to do the most is bring in their seat up and back so that we can get them in a place where they have first like good pelvic stability and two having good um you know recruitment of the of their glutes and so that doesn't necessarily mean feeling their glutes working with each pedal stroke it just means we're putting their body they're putting putting their their tissues in a in a position where the the muscles are going to be in a, a advantageous position mm -hmm. so that's you know for, for that demographic that's what you know tend to do a lot but ultimately it's about having you know, like you like you alluded to there's a lot of moving parts there's a ton of variables that, you know the bike you know it just makes this uh just exponentially more challenging than than often like a running gate analysis you know for me personally just like having a method as far as like, here's the route I'm going to go through to make sure I don't overlook things. I'm not cutting corners. I want to make sure that everything is accounted for. And that often that starts at, at the cleat and the foot interface and then working our way up. And so, mm -hmm. but often, and other thing is like people is, you know, asking like, you know, how, how the previous fitters or how they set up their shoes. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. No one's really looked at it, put it on there and started going like that is one place that, I spend a lot of time is like getting that foot interface set up well, because that's going to dictate, you know, everything on up the chain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And being someone who, you know, I would, I would say that I'm quite proficient in doing running gate analyses. Um, 
like you just said, there's a bit more that goes into a bike fitting procedure than a running gait analysis. And although, you know, whenever a well-trained physical therapist or any other type of coach that's doing a running analysis, hopefully they're looking at how that person moves, not just in running, but in other movement patterns too, squats, hinging, et cetera, looking at their mobility and stability. I know that process of me, me being able to go through an assessment of the human and an assessment of their running doesn't take nearly the time that one of these really thorough, well thought out bike fitting procedures takes. So, you know, typically how long is one of these appointments that someone's coming in for this thorough bike fitting analysis? So, I mean, I'll allocate, you know, usually two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if someone, again, like if they're just looking to, I got a new bike and want to get set up and not have any issues, you know, versus someone that's, has a, a history of orthopedic issues and and having like significant discomfort and, and that's going to just you know really change things up um you know we have to you know i don't want to make a whole bunch of changes at at once we have to you know make one subtle change see how they respond mm-hmm. make another one and and you know if we're changing parts and you know having them on and off the bike it, it yeah it can take a fair amount of time there's just a lot of things to consider and if you know if people you know are rushed through this then things are going to be overlooked and the, and the outcome isn't going to be ideal so you know I'd some of them that where i've had when people have lots of pains you know you know issues with their feet knees low back uh you know it can take up to three hours and and sometimes you know I, I want to break that up too it's like you know here's you know we made quite a few changes we want to try these out for a while. We want to let your nervous system adapt to these changes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're way off the mark as far as like, you know, things are, are, you know, are significantly out of balance and, you know, they're way out of the bell curve. I'm not going to just like take them all the way to where I think they should be because people typically don't respond well to these big changes. Yeah. We want to make some little changes and show them a trend that we want to you know make and hopefully make some improvements there and then i want to see how they do for six rides let them get adapted to this you know position and and then we can kind of touch base and and then see you know if we want to come back in or if there's just a few things that they can change on their own um so that is one thing that's different than you know previous fits is like the communication afterwards i want to know like you know how they responded because yeah you know Obviously, they're going to be moving and feeling better, you know, in the in the in the clinic in the studio. But you know, how does that manifest into the real world when they're on their bike for three hours? So yeah, so how each person handles a you know a three hour ride is going to be dictated on a lot of variables, and so we want them understanding that if they are moving better, they have better awareness coupled with the change that we made. That's that. Ultimately, we'll get them in a better place, but we want to have feedback about, you know, any other observations that they know that they notice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that process, Tim, is so important because I've had the opportunity to go through, I think, three bike fits with you now. Uh, we've done two road bikes, one that I no longer have and um, and the gravel bike that I have. And it took a little, little while. The more um, most recent road bike that I added to my collection now I rode it several times before I was able to schedule a time to come in and do a bike fit with you. 
And, um, you know, even being a physical therapist and even having gone through a previous bike fit with you, you know, we know the bikes are different and, um, I have functional limitations in how my body moves and things. One thing that I was definitely starting to notice is, you know, I was getting some knee pain on that bike and it wasn't anything that was like dramatic. I wasn't having like intense knee pain. We'll call it more like left knee discomfort. And particularly after I was on the bike for like 45 to 60 minutes or something like that, like I didn't feel it right away. And I made some little adjustments and things um, while I was uh, waiting for the appointment that I had scheduled with you to like come in and actually do that bike fit. But, you know, I think it's important to, like you said, make those small changes and then go test them out. So you can see what kind of an effect and change they're actually having on how you're feeling. Because if you change a bunch of things all at once, or you keep changing things every time you ride, you're never really going to know when you find a position that is comfortable long-term. Right. And so you know, it's understanding that when you change one thing on a bike fit, you change everything. Mm -hmm. So if someone, so say, you know, for instance, people, if they're having knee pain and they slide their saddle back and that offloads that patellar shear on their knees. However, what that, you know, can do is it increases the reach. And so that, and so then if that is then too far of a reach, well, then that can contribute to you know, you know, pelvic instability, low back pain, they can make them hunch their neck because they're reaching too far. And so that's important to understand. And that's why it's important to have a, you know, a, a methodical approach and understanding about what the consequences of each change are, you know, positive or negative. So that, uh, you know, you're not just hunting around and, you know, moving in this and then that in a haphazard fashion. And, you know, to your second point, I've had people are like, oh, I've changed, you know, man, I had a guy a couple weeks ago and he changed something every ride. Mm -hmm. And that goes back into, you know, the variables that, you know, are inherent with cycling. And, you know, if you go for a run, you can feel different each time. But ultimately, you have to allow your nervous system to adapt to a certain position. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if we're in the ballpark and you've had these, um, you know, he's, you're still wanting to fiddle with it. We, you know, again, we have to look, look off the bike. If, you know, is like, what, what is it? And, and so that's the thing is like, he had this significant valgus um, with his knee. And so he had just basically a ton of weakness on one leg, which I, you know, highlighted beforehand, like, Hey, this is a big component. You know, if you can, you know, bike well for a little while, I'll be impressed. But, you know, as you get fatigued, these movement patterns are going to, be magnified. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I would so, totally say that like the value or the benefit, I guess, that I have perceived, like how I feel on the bike, both from a comfort standpoint and from like an efficiency standpoint, a power standpoint or sustained ability to bike for longer and whatnot, um, and not feel as fatigued in like certain spots has been like night and day since like riding without the bike fit versus riding with, with the bike fit. And, um, you know, it's now having gone through it, it seems like a no brainer, but, um, but you know, that's, that's talking with experience because, you know, I never had a bike fit years ago when I started riding I was just fiddling with things, trying to adjust things until it just felt just right. And, um, so yeah, I, th I think the, the benefits of it 
in my mind, far exceed exceed the um, you know the cost that that it takes to do one of these things because um, it, it's just been tremendously useful. So, I, so that that cost component that's that's one thing, especially as people get into cycling more and they you know see all these shiny objects and you know oh I can get lighter bars I can shave a few grams here, you know that cycling marketing is a powerful force and like oh man you know I want this or I want my bike to look like this but you know understanding that you know what like economy actually is and if you're looking to optimize power or your fitness level you know there's three metrics that must be developed through training your aerobic capacity your anaerobic threshold and your economy and how efficiently you use oxygen while riding is you know what economy is and so if you have a sloppy pedaling technique or an improperly fitted bike that's going to cause unnecessary fatigue on a long race or long race or, or, or ride. And that's why coaches typically place so much emphasis on having professional bike fit at least annually and doing neuromuscular drills every season. Um, so that you're, uh, you know, the most likely energy saving benefit will come from a bike fit versus spending infinite, endless amounts of money on carbon and shiny objects. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny to hear you say that because it makes good sense when you explain it. But like you said, marketing is a very powerful tool and shiny things in our mind um, are hard to pass up sometimes. But, you know, the same thing is I, I talk about this with runners all the time. Like you could buy whatever pair of shoes you want. Those shoes are not necessarily going to make you a better or a faster runner. Um, the majority of the benefits that you're going to get in your running come from everything else other than your shoes and you know that couple ounces difference in your shoes or that carbon plate or or whatever we're talking about makes the smallest fraction of a difference um and what you started to mention earlier tim was that a lot of times people that are very avid cyclists don't always have a well-rounded fitness routine outside of cycling um you know what are what are some of the other things that you would recommend that cyclists do outside of riding their bike or riding their their peloton or their stationary trainer or whatever um because i think i have that conversation with cyclists in our office a lot as well as with runners in our office about the things that they need to do outside of their sport in order to better set them up for their performance in their sport well it's going back to just moving well in life. And so, you know, our basic primal movement patterns are squat, you know, press, pull, lunge, and hinge. And hinge and lunge are basically what cycling comprises. So that's part of my, you know, fit assessment is, can you do a hip hinge? What does your lunge pattern look like? Can you disassociate your pelvis from your trunk, from your legs, and like do a pelvic tilt. And that's, you know, what what we have to have is people being able to, you know, when they're riding for multiple hours, can you address, you know, when you get fatigued, can you modify your pelvic position? So off the bike, I want them, it, it's, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, you know, it does like the four greatest exercises from cycling.com don't necessarily relate to each person. It doesn't have to be, you know, real glamorous. It's like, can you do these basic things and do them well, do them under load, do them when fatigued 
Yeah. And if so, then the chances of that transferring into your sport are are very good. And can you address asymmetries? And because you know everyone's going to be a little bit weaker, a little less unstable on one side. And when that difference becomes a, you know, a certain amount, then that's going to load the tissues inappropriately. And that's what's going to lead to pain. So the better balance you can be off the bike with, you know, bilateral hip hinge, just single out, single leg RDL, uh, doing lunges, doing those well with, you know, good pelvic stability, with good glute recruitment and awareness that will inherently make you a, a better rider. If it's not for like a power and force production standpoint, it is from a movement awareness and resilience standpoint in order to ride, you know, you know, endure a long ride, endure the season and, you know, ride for the rest of your life if you want. So mm -hmm. those are the things that I, you know, really, um, really trying to emphasize. And that's part of the fit. It's like, here is the biggest deficit, you know, that each person rides. And here's what one thing you need to at least do off the bike to address the, the things that we found in your assessment. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. And you just started to, um, to go down this path, something that I wanted to ask you about was you just said, like, if you can improve your movements off the bike, address those asymmetries, you're going to improve your resilience and uh, your ability to tolerate the demands of cycling, whether that's, you know, recover from, whether that's tolerate the season or cycling longevity. And I know you just put together the materials for a seven principles for cycling longevity ebook. Um, you know, just very briefly touch on that. And then uh, either you or I can tell people where they can find that because a lot of the things that you touched on in this uh, conversation can also be found in that ebook. So we'll make sure to share that as a resource for people as well. Uh, yeah. So, you know, seven big things. And, you know, what it starts with is just globally. It's like, can you, uh, can you do like a diaphragmatic breath? Can people get out of what I call like stress state breathing? which is just using their upper chest and using their upper trap and using their pec minor to expand the rib cage and not being and not utilizing their di diaphragm to the fullest extent. And so that can have implications as far as systemically, biomechanically, you know, that's just the foundation of writing well as far as doing well in life is like can you can you breathe and and then the you know the other parts are, you know, can people do like a hip hinge with a pelvic tilt and be able to lunge and be able to modify their position on the bike. So those are just kind of the, you know, the general components of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just giving people some videos and some cues so that they can see like what these things look like in practice. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll go ahead and we will share that in the show notes for this episode. Um, again, Tim created an ebook for you guys that has video demonstrations of a lot of the things that uh, we were just going through in this conversation. And if you don't find it in the show notes, but you're listening to this while you're, you know, while you're driving or something and you want to go um, find that later, that resource can also be found on our Physio Room website. So you're going to visit physioroomco, that's co.com. And uh, up in that top navigation bar, we have a section that's called free resources where you can find that ebook along with several other things that um, for other types of activities that uh, can just provide you with some free information and give you some of the, the detail 
that may not come through in the uh, back and forth conversation that we're having. Uh, Tim, to talk about a little bit of fun stuff, from a cycling perspective, are there any events or races or anything that you are training for and preparing for right now as we're going into winter here in Colorado? Uh, well, I'm in the lottery to do the Leadville 100 this year, Ooh. so we'll, we'll know in a few weeks if that's going to be on the docket. Um, in the winter, I try to get a little more balanced as far as in the weight room and running, and so I'm doing uh, a trail run actually tomorrow, doing nice. nine miles, which is a little longer than I've done in a while, so I try to stay fairly balanced throughout the season but you know I, it was which i what i preached to everyone else and but i tend to fall off the wagon just like everyone else and just tend to ride my bike so these are the months when i try and balance out uh, my life but yeah just uh leadville for cycling this year and then uh <clears throat> we'll probably do some other 12-hour rides uh mm -hmm. one in winter park and one in uh, Castle Rock. Those are the main ones, and then I'll kind of fill in some gaps with some other uh, rides in the front range. And yeah, awesome. Well, you know, I want to um, I want to get out on another ride with you. Uh, Tim and I haven't been able to ride together too much uh, since we've both been out here, and I would be the first to admit that I am. Uh, what I would call a fair weathered cyclist. So uh, you probably won't see me outside too much on the bike during the colder, wetter, darker months of the winter. But when you get a nice day out here in Colorado, you probably can find me outside on my bike. And um, so let's get that scheduled sometime soon, Tim. And like you said, you know, as much as we, you know, we hop on this podcast, I do all these episodes, I have this interview with you you know, we are humans too. And we fall off the wagon and fall out of our routine, just like everybody else. Um, and honestly, that's one of the fun things for me about having these conversations and doing this show that it keeps me kind of talking about the things and trying to practice what we preach, because, you know, knowing what to do is a whole lot harder than implementing it in your life and then holding yourself accountable to doing it. So, you know, thank you guys for, uh, listening to us on this platform, letting us use this platform to try to put into action some of the things that we're talking about too. Um, we're doing this totally with you, not uh, not just talking at you or for you. So we're doing this together. But um, Dr. Tim, thank you so much for joining me on, uh, on this episode. I want you to remind everybody, where can people find you? And we'll put those resources in the in the show notes too. But where can people find you and follow up with you after after they listen to this? Uh, so Instagram is kind of my main main spot where I'll put uh, any of the cycling journeys I go on. So it's Physio Tim T. And then uh, just I'll have all my clients feel free to reach out to me via email. It's Tim at PhysioRoomCo.com. That's awesome. And again, you guys will find those things, Instagram, email, and that cycling ebook in the show notes for this episode. Like you've heard me say before, really, really appreciate your guys' time. However you consumed this podcast, wherever you found it, however you're listening to it, thank you for being here and for tuning in. And um, if you would be so kind, if there was something that you liked, if there's something that you want to hear about, please go leave us a review, mention those things, and we'll be sure to try and keep more of the good stuff coming for you guys here on The Code. We'll talk to you guys next time. Have a great day. Bye-bye.